It's sung by those who love Jesus. It's sung by those who are excited about this potentiality. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. I'm Helena Martin. Welcome back to another conversation about an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. Each week, and sometimes a little more often, we bring you a conversation with two of the Yale Divinity School faculty. And you'll notice that this episode is coming out on Saturday rather than our usual Monday. That's because it's for Christmas Eve, which is now less than a week away. For special occasions, we'll have additional episodes like this one every so often. And for this special episode, we have Sarah Drummond, founding dean of Andover Newton Seminary at Yale, and Joel Baden, professor of Hebrew Bible and director of the Center for Continuing Education. They joined us just a couple episodes ago, so a big thank you to them for being here again so soon for this special weekend edition. They're discussing Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, which is appointed for Christmas Eve proper 1, Friday, December 24th. The text is read for you by student Eric Holland. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden, and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is among the most famous passages from the, from the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and it is, takes all of my strength, I suppose, not to simply start by saying, this isn't about Jesus. I realize now I've started by saying that. But like, you know that that to me as a historical critic and as a jewish scholar is like the the most blindingly obvious part of like the thing to say about this which maybe makes it like not the most obvious thing for us to actually be talking about because maybe it's it's just too obvious is it too obvious i think that we make a mistake in the Christian tradition of thinking that the most important reason to educate our communities about the fact that this is not about jesus is anti-Semitism and prevention of anti-Semitism. I think that we frame, why do we need to emphasize that this text predated and did not predict uh, the birth of Jesus in the manger with the animals and the rest of the figurines who surround the animals and the manger is because to claim that this is about Jesus is a profoundly anti-Semitic start to an argument. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important to note, but there are other really important reasons why it's really important for Christian ministers to educate their communities about this not being Jesus 
And those reasons, to my mind, have to do with the way we understand the chosen one, the way we understand anything having to do with the one. Christians love to fantasize about the one that fixed everything, the one that got us all all off the hook. And we then move forward with this idea of how history moves and works of a person who takes responsibility away from communities. And then they project that responsibility onto whoever is most distant and most convenient for them. Jesus was a redeemer. Jesus was the one Christians understand to have been the person who taught us what God actually thinks we ought to be doing. We understand Jesus to be supernaturally appointed and also to have teachings and educational messages about how to live our lives. And amazingly, Christians get really excited about that first part Mm. and they forget the teachings part. And when they do that, they get theologically lazy. So the fact that this is not about Jesus is just one more um, one more way in which we can help people to understand that numerous different interpretations can be offered as to pro- around prophecies of the one that really aren't about one person necessarily. So I wonder what what are some alternative interpretations just historically of this text, to whom might Isaiah have been referring, and what might be some alternative ways to understand the nature of this prophecy? In a sense, the way that you're reading here, it, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter who it is. You don't want it to be anyone. I could say that this is a prophecy about, as I think it probably was, about like the birth and uh, eventual kingship of King Hezekiah, who was much beloved in the in the time, and and the Bible really really uh, likes a lot Isaiah, particularly. So you know the sort of historical critical and you know typically Jewish reading has to do with this. Oh, this is about Hezekiah, um, so it's very contextually bound. But one would still read this as Hezekiah as sort of the savior figure in a way, and you don't want anyone to to have that role. Well, I get nervous about savior figures that show up at the end of the movie before the credits start to roll. Because the idea that the savior figure is now going to conduct some kind of cosmic erasure of everything wrong with our civilization is just as much of a fantasy as the wedding at the end of the movie. Weddings are a beginning. They're not the end. And they're not a fantasy. So what makes me feel like we need to stir up the idea of the um, the singularity of the Savior? I don't think that I have so much of an issue. Uh, I, I don't have negative feelings about the idea of a heroic narrative or a heroic journey. And in fact, I don't think that it takes any of the power away to imagine this passage from Isaiah being a wonderful song, a wonderful um, story to set to music by Handel or somebody else and use it as part of a celebration, as long as it's not necessarily claiming that this is the end of the work. Kingdom has come. No, Jesus 
was really clear that the city, that the new Jerusalem is not something that he was um, bringing to full fruition. He was describing it. He wasn't finalizing it. I would actually compare it to, I would compare a celebratory use of Isaiah, Isaiah's passage around, say, Christmas to um, similarly pointing to the um, echoes of Hannah's song in the Magnificat. I actually believe that the fact that Mary is singing a song about her um, joy at God, um, God making use of her as uh, as the mother of the Savior, the fact that she's singing somebody else's song, I've compared to a teenager singing along with a love song on the radio. There's something really wonderful about it. It doesn't ruin the Magnificat to think that it wasn't an original. And similarly, the Isaiah passage isn't ruined for me by the fact that it's not about Jesus, Mm -hmm. but rather it's sung by those who love Jesus. It's sung by those who are excited about this potentiality. So I think that the factuality is something that helps congregations untether themselves from a hyper-literal understanding of the text, because my understanding is that hyper-literal reads just ruin everything. Yeah. I mean, I I will say that for my part, you know, I'm not the kind of sort of historical critical thinker who's like, well, the, the, the original meaning is the only meaning. Right. It's not the case that just because this text was written about, I think, probably Hezekiah, that from a Christian perspective, it can't or shouldn't be read as being about Jesus. Right. What's interesting and what I think is like exciting about the historical critical recognition of what you're talking about, this sort of like this reuse, this interpretation of one text in a different context, is it gets it allows us to ask the question of like, like why? Right. What was it about this text that made it so uh, so useful? Right. Like, when we when we see reuse or interpretation, right, we get to to ask questions like, what did people see in this text that they thought this is the one that we're gonna we're gonna lift up as 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 being as our text now? You know, the singing along to the love song is 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 really a lovely image. It also reminds us that this text whatever the historical context it was written in was preserved and passed down in such a way that like later generations were, were saying to themselves, this is, this is mine. This is about us and, 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 and our belief too. But it does, you know, it, it continues to raise the question of like, is it because they saw in it this savior thing going on? And that was appealing as, as you say, sort of the like, well, finally someone's going to come along and solve all my problems for me. It's not clear to me from the text that that's exactly what's being described. I, th- I think it's really easy to read this as it often has been as everything's going to be fine because a child has been born. And I think that you can and maybe should read the text more as right, things are going to get better. And this is going to be one of the indications of in, in, the, in this like imagined really good imminent future. Right, because the, the the birth of the child comes like near the end of the prophetic text, you know. But it's about God first, right? You've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy, right? You've removed the the yoke of the oppressor, 
not because a child is born, but like that is in the same way that it is in Isaiah 6, right? The birth of the child is the sign of God's redemption. And you're right. The the savior notion here is I think kind of kind of a misreading, like or at least not the most not the the only or most obvious reading. I I appreciate what you're saying. And I hope that I didn't make it sound like I think that there's only a dangerous read. I, in fact, I, I believe that the most dangerous thing is anybody claiming that there is only one interpretation of the text. What I worry about is people who try to make things look neat and tidy. The baby metaphor, even in our, our present day, can be a great example of how we call something the fulfillment of all things. Like think about the couples that we know who um, trying for a baby, trying for a baby, they have a baby and it's not at all what they expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Meaning the experience isn't at all what they expected it to be. Why? Because our whole society is telling them through um, marketing and advertising that having a baby is going to be the fulfillment of all of your hopes and dreams, but it's actually a person and a real experience. So I think that that um that reading the text as a a celebration and reading it with joy is absolutely appropriate. Reading it as an answer is what makes me a little nervous and thinking that Christian ministers need to help their communities understand the non-linearity of the arrow between this text and Jesus. Thanks for listening to Chapter, Verse, and Season. Remember to subscribe if you haven't already. It just takes a second, and it helps other new listeners find us. And follow us on Twitter, at BibleYale. For more information about Chapter, Verse, and Season, and for more Bible study resources, check out YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Production help is by Chriselle Bryce, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thanks to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School, as always. And thank you to Dean Drummond and Professor Baden for joining us for this special edition episode. We'll be back on Monday with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.